Good evening. Would somebody want to open us with a prayer, please? Thank you, Justice. And thank you, everybody that's here tonight. Tonight's lesson is going to be from the book of Matthew, from chapter 3. The title is Repent and Flee from the Wrath to Come. As a Christian, all of us in this room, we know that Jesus is God and that we're all sinners and that there's a price for that sin. Either we receive the free gift of salvation, which Jesus offers us to pay for the sins that each one of us have done, or we have to pay the price ourselves. The place we have to pay the price is the lake of fire after God judges at the end of time. It's much easier to take the free gift. However, a lot of people, they don't really understand what that all entails. Tonight we're going to look a little bit into that. There's a verse right at the top there. It says Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And that's so true when we think about in the spirit world. There are ways for us to see the evil that's in front of us and then to avoid it. This verse teaches us the simple, the ones that are weak of will or weak of mind. They just walk right into the trap that Satan sets and they're punished for that. A lot of times we're punished in this life. For example, if you got caught drunk driving, But most importantly, the people that reject the free gift, they are punished eternally. So let's look at these verses. It's Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 12. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Esaias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, 
and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The setting for this is John the Baptist starting his ministry. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. Jesus' mom is Mary, and her cousin was Elizabeth. And Zacharias and Elizabeth were Levites. He was a priest. She became pregnant, Elizabeth, six months before Mary became pregnant with Jesus. And it says Elizabeth was barren her whole life. And her and her husband, they desperately wanted a child. And they wanted a baby for many years. And now she's past age where she can bear. She's an older lady. And now she becomes pregnant. Can you imagine the joy in that house? So that's really a double miracle because she was barren her whole life. And now as an older lady, she's pregnant. Mary went to visit her. And it says when they were discussing Jesus, John the Baptist leaped in her womb, in his mom's Elizabeth's womb. And it also says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. So the first point tonight is John the Baptist heralded the Messiah and preached repentance. John, he came and he said, there's a great Savior coming. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, you need to repent of your sins in order to go into heaven, into this kingdom of heaven. But don't you need to surrender first and repent? That's part of the process. Part of repentance is you have to have a godly sorrow. Yes. And that godly sorrow is a breaking down in the submission. Without that godly sorrow, you really can't repent. Exactly. You can be sorry for you getting caught, for example, but there's a difference between being sorry that you were caught and not doing that deed that made you go to jail, or for example, the sinning against God in the future. That's really the difference. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. And, and we'll look at that a little bit later in this lesson. Matthew 3, 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. If you looked at a map of the Middle East, let's say this is going to be Jerusalem right here. Judea is this area south of Jerusalem, and it's mountainous. So it's very rugged. It would be like going over here to the mountains west of Lynchburg. Blue Ridge. Blue Ridge Mountains, yes. And then 20 miles from Jerusalem, there's a river called the Jordan River. Yes. And that's where John the Baptist baptized. The Jordan River dumps into the Dead Sea. So all of this massive land area, that's where he was preaching and teaching, and then in the river, Jordan baptizing. And he was very well known. The people would come from all of that region to hear him preach. Let's learn a little bit about John the Baptist. Luke 1, 15, 16. This is the angel speaking to Zacharias, John the Baptist's dad, before he was born. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. 
That's amazing. That also teaches us that God chooses who the Holy Spirit will indwell. God chooses who goes to heaven, and God chooses who goes to hell. And it says, And many of the children shall he turn to the Lord their God. Jesus' primary ministry was to the Israelites. He came to speak to the Jewish nation. So did John the Baptist. It said, And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah and their King. And they put him on the cross. Now we all put Jesus on the cross yes. in a, a respect that we're all sinners. Mm -hmm. But Jesus eventually opened up salvation to both the Jew and the Gentile. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Gentile, to us. Luke 1, 36 and 37, again speaking of John the Baptist, and behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, this is the angel speaking to Mary, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that tonight? That with God, nothing is impossible? Amen. So this also gives a timeline. Jesus started his public ministry at the age of 30. And the reason he didn't start it at 20 or 25 is that in the Jewish culture, a man did not have all the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities until he reached the age of 30. That's why Jesus, because he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law, he started his public ministry at the age of 30. John the Baptist is six months older than him. So he probably started preaching in that area sometime before his 30th birthday. Luke 1, 76 and 77. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. This child, John the Baptist, he's called the prophet of the highest. What a privilege to have that title. And he will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Many people, especially as they get older, they need people to prepare their ways, to minister to them, prepare their meals. They cannot do many things. Same way with a child. They're at the mercy of their parents or the people caring for them. John the Baptist in the spirit world was preparing the way for the Lord. And it says to give knowledge of salvation unto the people. What does it mean to have knowledge of salvation? The knowledge of salvation is to learn the Bible. Yes. How will people hear about the gospel message unless there's a preacher? And how will the people hear the preacher unless somebody goes to minister the word? All of us are ministers. Everybody in this room is Everybody a minister. Everybody in this room is a minister. Amen. And we have that privilege. We have that privilege to be a minister. Yes. Romans 1.16, we just said that verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. We need to tell people that we're all sinners. Yes. The wages of sin is death. We're all going to hell without a savior, but Jesus is the good news. He died on the cross for us. His death and his burial 
and his resurrection, if we communicate that to the lost, people will be saved because there's power in the word of God. Matthew 3, 2, and saying, this is what John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1, 4 gives us a little bit more information. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Do you think John the Baptist was a strong preacher? I think his voice was powerful and loud. And here in Luke 13, 3, he says, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's what happens if you don't repent in the spirit world. You will perish spiritually in the lake of fire. 2 Corinthians 7.10, this is the verse that we just discussed. Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. And it's not to be repented of. That means once you repent and you're saved, repented to salvation, you can't repent and lose your salvation. Do you see that? Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. Everybody out here chasing the, a mighty American dollar, if they don't get saved, they will go into hell. It will work death. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you repent. How do you know that you were saved? You have to believe the word of God. Yeah, because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Yeah, because our bodies are waxing older every day. You can't undo the wages of the sin you've done. For example, if I drank alcohol every day and now I'm an older man, my liver would be tore up and I can't repair my liver. If I smoke cigarettes every day since I was a teenager, my lungs would be ripped apart and I can't repair my lungs. But in the spirit world, you can be made white as snow. Matthew 3, 3, for this is he that was spoken of the prophet Esaias. Esaias is Greek for Isaiah. You see the letters in the middle, A-I-A, they both have, that's how you can tell the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek. By the prophet Esaias saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And this verse adds, make his paths straight. All of us, when we sin, we're on a crooked path. We're on a crooked path of sin. But Jesus is a straight and a narrow way. The Bible says, enter you in at the straight gate because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life. And few there be that find it. In order to stay on that straight, narrow way, we have to get out of the crooked way. And John was preaching to prepare people to make them their paths straight. See, God has given us a preordained path that we should walk in. That's Ephesians 2. He preordained us to walk without sin. Every time we sin, we get onto the crooked way and we have to repent and we have to say, God, will you forgive me? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us from all unrighteousness in the spirit world. And then when you repent, you're back on the straight and the narrow way. And you can't go to heaven unless you finish the walk on the straight and the narrow way. But the good news is, if you're truly a child of God, he's going to keep pulling you back on the path. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted 
and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. People that are in sin, their hearts are broken. And in the spirit world, the only way to bind that broken heart is for God to fix you, to repair you, to restore you. He can restore what the locusts have eaten because of sin in our life. And it says, proclaim liberty to the captives. The Bible says we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to God. You can't be a slave to both. A double-minded man is unstable in all of, all of his ways. You either have to love God or love mammon. You can't love them both. Jeremiah 6.10 To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach and they have no delight in it. Do you know in the world today, many people, if you try to share the word of God with them, they want to have nothing to do with it. And it says, unto them the word is a reproach. Yeah. That means it's like something that they disrespect, they look down upon. Yeah. And it says they have no delight in it. How many of you love to be with little children? Don't they just delight your soul? Yeah. My granddaughter was over last night, and so was my grandson. And just running around the house, there's so much life in the house when little kids are running around, right? Because they're so busy with everything. The Word of God should be like a little child spark of life in the spirit world, in your heart, in your mind. But the people that reject the Word, it says they have no delight in it. No delight in it. And, and if we met somebody that had no delight in children, would we say they were like a Scrooge or something? Like a Christmas Scrooge? Yeah, they're bitter. They're bitter. There's something wrong with them. And we know... If people reject little innocent children, there's something wrong with them in their core being. And if somebody rejects the word of God, there's something wrong with them in their core of their soul. Luke 3, 5 and 6. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In this verse, you can visualize mountains and valleys and a crooked way. Well, those mountains represent the sin in our life and the valleys, the weaknesses in our being. And the crooked way is our path of sin. But God's going to tear down those mountains of sin. He's going to fill in the depressions and the emotional shortness we have in our life. He's going to make that crooked path of sin straight. And it says, all flesh, that means every person who's already lived, is living, and will live, shall see the salvation of God. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that means at the judgment seat, nobody will have an excuse. And this verse says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Matthew 3, 4. The same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle with his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. This man was a tough dude. <laughs> so your loins are from basically your knees to your chest. He was covered, it says here, with a camel skin. His raiment, his coat, 
was camel hair. And I can almost envision how itchy that might be. And he said he ate locusts and wild honey. I can go for the honey part, but I'm not sure I want to go for the locust part. <laughs> but, you know, God allowed you to eat locusts. Leviticus 11.22 says, Even these of them you may eat, the locust after his kind, and the bald locust after his kind, and the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind. And I've been traveling into different countries where they do eat bugs. Deuteronomy 32.12 So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. God was leading John the Baptist from his mother's womb. He was filled with the Spirit. And it says here, he had no strange God with him. You notice that strange God is little g? Little g stands for idols. He had no idol in his life. How many of us in America have idols? Mm -hmm. Our jobs, our families, our cars, sports, mm -hmm. entertainment, music, movies, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of idols that we put before God. And here's something like that a pastor... Bondage. Bondage, yeah. You're, you bondage. become a slave to that sin. And here's one way, uh, one measurement, you can tell what's the God of your life. Whatever you think about the most during the day, that's your God. That's a pretty strong statement. We should be thinking about Jesus the most. Luke 1.80, And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. I think John the Baptist knew every square mile of that region of the mountains of Judea, walking around and living there, chasing animal, deer, whatever he had to kill to eat. He was out there when it was hot. He was out there in the winter when the snow was falling. Point number two, preaching God's word generates spiritual revival. How do we get spiritually saved? By hearing the word of God. Preaching makes for spiritual revival. Charles Spurgeon had a really vivid example. Did you ever see like um, a big fire? There's a lot of the hot coals and they're burning red. If you took the tongs and picked up one of those little pieces of coal that was red hot and moved it over several feet from the fire and you set it down on the ground or on the concrete or whatever, within a few minutes, that coal will go out. But the fire will still be burning strong. And that's what happens for Christians that remove themselves from fellowship of other Christians. Their fire goes up. And that's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Because we get nourishment in the spirit world. We, people pray for us. How will they know what your needs are if you don't share your burden? There's a hedge of protection in the spirit world that people can pray for you. And that's one of the reasons you go. You share, you bond. You should be hanging around with Christians. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be hanging around with sinners that are lost in the world. Mm -hmm. Because one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch. So Matthew 3, mm -hmm. 3, 5 says, They went out to him, they went out to John the Baptist, from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan. People were hearing about his preaching. And he wasn't doing miracles. Not once just John the Baptist, they said, oh, he healed this person or he revived this person from the dead. Never. All that he did was preach repentance. Well, in this, there's also verses that say when we cross the Jordan, yes. 
Because in the spirit world, what happened when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land after Moses had died, the river was a big barrier. And it was deep. They couldn't cross it. So just like God made the Red Sea part and the Israelites passed over the Red Sea, he did the same thing with the Jordan River. It parted. And then the Israelites crossed over the Jordan. And that's a picture of them in the physical world crossing the Jordan into the promised land. And in the spirit world, when we die, our soul will cross that spiritual Jordan into heaven. And that's the picture that the word of God is painting. To answer your question, there is a physical river in Israel right now that you can go and jump in. Luke 3.3, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So he wasn't just preaching and teaching right there on the Jordan River. He was in that total area, many, many hundreds of square miles. Luke 7.26 and 27. This is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And Luke 7, 28. For I say unto you, this is the next verse, Jesus still speaking. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That almost seems like a puzzle because there's been billions and billions of people who've been born. On the earth today, there's 7 billion people estimated. Jesus is saying among all these people born of a woman, there's none greater prophet than John the Baptist. So Jesus is putting him on a pedestal. There's none greater because he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mama's womb. And then Jesus says, but the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Now, what does that mean? Be Sorry? That's true. But this is actually speaking to we're in the flesh. And every one of us, every day we sin because we're in the flesh. So no matter how great you are working and striving to fight sin in your life, you're still in the flesh. That's right. But once you step into the spirit world and you have your glorified body upon your death when you're a Christian, at the Bema Seat Judgment, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Those verses teach us as soon as we either die or the Lord comes back and we come out of the grave or we're alive when Jesus is present, we will have a glorified body. Once we have a glorified body, we cannot sin. And so that means we're no longer the victim, the slave of sinful flesh. No matter how great John was in the kingdom, working and striving, he was still in the flesh. And the least with a glorified body is greater than John. Does that make sense? Yes. Because we can't sin when we have a glorified body. But you know what also that means? 
We don't have to pray. We don't have to ask God to forgive us. Because we can't sin anymore. Jesus was in the flesh. Yes. But then when he died, he rose on Easter Sunday morning and he had a glorified body because remember, it says he walked through the wall. But he still ate with the apostles. Matthew 3, 6. Is that any rapture tied to in Revelation? That's the rapture. Rapture is spoken primarily in Thessalonians. Matthew 3, 6. And were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. So there were many people who came, they confessed their sins, and they were baptized in this Jordan River. Mark 1, 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Do you see the connection? How many verses have we already touched on? John preached repentance. Why? For the remission, for the washing away, for the covering of your sins with the blood atonement. You can't have remission of your sins without repentance. There are people that preach a false gospel today. Yeah. And they say you don't need to repent yeah. to be saved. Amen. And if people follow that, they will end up in hell. Because they're itching their ears with false yeah. truth, with false doctrine. Because they say, oh, you mean I just need to say, Jesus, I believe in you, and I can still keep doing my drugs or running around on my wife or fornication or name the sin, right? No. no. You can't get into heaven by believing that false gospel. In Revelation chapter 22, it says, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter into the city. Because without are all dogs, all dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and idolaters and everyone that loves and makes a lie. Yes, those are the people who go to hell. Those verses start with the ones who go into the gates, into heaven, into New Jerusalem, are the ones who do the commandments. You can't just say, oh, I believe the commandments and then break them. You have to fight sin by doing the commandments. Now we all fall, right? We all trip. That's when we confess our sins. That's right. Mark 1.5 And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. 1 John 1.9 This is the verse we just mentioned. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to wash us, to make us as white as snow from all unrighteousness. All. That means every kind of sin we can do, God will forgive. Point number three. The gospel warns of God's wrath and punishment for unrepentant sinners. Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist, when he saw these Sadducees and the Pharisees come, he didn't say, straighten up his tie and say, whoa, I got to shine my shoes and look presentable to these men because they were the leaders. He didn't even say, hey, how are you doing today? How was lunch? You know how he talked to them? He says, oh, generation of vipers, 
Vipers are snakes. Vipers are deadly. They kill people. And he's calling them a generation of vipers. He says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Remember several months ago when it was hurricane season? Yeah. And that huge hurricane was coming into Florida. The people were warned two, three, four weeks ahead. This hurricane is coming. This hurricane is coming. So many people packed up and they went north into northern Florida, even into Georgia. And then this terrible hurricane moved through very slowly every couple of hours, right? They moved slow and they just tear up everything in their path. And then it passed on. And when it was safe, those people drove back to their homes. They probably had to do some repairs and there was flooding and that sort of thing. But at this time, three, four months later, much of that hurricane has been forgotten. The hurricane of hell is coming. The wrath of God is coming. And you can't drive away and get away from it because it's in the spirit world. And God's, <laughs> and God's wrath, when it comes, it stops and it stays. It doesn't pass away. And you can't ever get out of that wrath if you're in it. It's a forever wrath. And in fact, the wrath, that hurricane, keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger throughout eternity. It's a wrath we don't want. And John the Baptist is saying to these Pharisees and these Sadducees, who has warned you? I will warn you. I will preach. But see, the Pharisees, they believed in an afterlife. They believed you had a soul. But they also thought you got to heaven by works. They had 600 plus little rules to keep. And they were very diligent in keeping every one of those rules. But God said, you don't get into heaven by your works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, that's that washing away of the sins again, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 23, 27 and 28. This is Jesus speaking again directly to these scribes and these Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also appear outwardly righteous unto men, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So Jesus is telling these Pharisees and these scribes, these leaders of the Jews, and the Sadducees would also fall into that group. He said, you're like a whited sepulcher. Have you ever gone into a cemetery and saw those little houses, the above ground tombs? That's what he's referring to here as a sepulcher. And what they would do in Jerusalem is they would paint them white. And they looked so beautiful. But inside were dead men's bones. No matter how beautiful the outside was, it still held dead men's bones. And Jesus said, you hypocrites, you scribes, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you're just like a whited sepulcher. You look so beautiful on the outside, but you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Iniquity is sin. Matthew 22, 33. This is again Jesus speaking. You serpents and you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? 
That's a good question. How can you escape the damnation? There's only one escape door from hell, and it has to go through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the straight gate. The straight gate is the doorway. And you can't go to heaven without going through that straight gate of Jesus Christ. Romans 2, 5. But after their hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto you wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. This verse says that just like in the physical world, we want to save money. We open a bank account and we put in 50, 100, 200, 1,000 and it grows over time. We've got a little 401k with some stocks in it. Maybe we've got a treasure box and we buy gold and we put it in there. And we're reaping up wealth against that day when we're going to need it. God says for the sinner, what they're doing is every time they sin, they got a little wrath savings account. And God puts some wrath in there for them. And over time, that wrath builds up and they have this huge sin debt of wrath that's due God. And on the judgment day, he's going to say, here's your invoice. Here's your bill. How are you going to pay for all your sin that you've done? And this is called wrath against that day of wrath. So the question is that we just asked is, how can we escape this wrath? Well, Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Do you follow that? If you want to escape the wrath of hell, you have to be saved through him, through Jesus, through the Messiah, through the Savior. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 also says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now do you see it says he's delivered us? That's past tense because as soon as you're saved, you're in the kingdom. You still don't have a glorified body. But you are already saved. Matthew 3, 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meat for repentance. We know what fruits are. We can go to the grocery store and buy apples and bananas and grapes, whatever. Those are fruits. In the spirit world, Christians have fruits. And the fruits are the deeds that they do for the kingdom. To serve Lord out of love, not out of a duty. Because a servant does it out of duty. A hired hand does it to make money. We serve God out of love. And it says you should have some fruit that we can see in the spirit world. Matthew 7, 16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You don't have on a thorn bush grapes. Or on a fig tree you don't have thistles. They don't go together. One represents the fruit of the Spirit, and the other one represents the deadly fruit of the flesh. John 15, 5. This is Jesus saying, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Mm -hmm. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. When I was a boy, my parents had a fairly big garden, and sometimes we would grow watermelon, in other years, we would grow cantaloupe. As those plants grow, there's a main vine. And off of that main vine are little branches. And off of those branches are where the fruit grow, the cantaloupe or the watermelon. If you cut that branch off, the watermelon will die. 
it's not getting any nutrition through that branch. Well, the branch is connected to the vine that goes all the way to the roots of the ground. Jesus is that main vine. And as a Christian, we become that branch. Do you have watermelons or cantaloupes on your branch in the spirit world? Because if you don't have fruit, Jesus says you need to check and see if you're really saved. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And then the fruits of the spirit that you mentioned here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And against such, there is no law. You know, they don't put you in jail for being in love or for having faith or being gentle. They put you in jail for breaking the law when you murder and steal. Okay, do you see how God's word is good? Now, if you know people that come to mind that are just hateful people, that means they don't have fruit. You will know them by their fruit. However, if you see somebody who's full of joy and love, that's their fruit. And you see how we can tell them? God says we need to discern. We need to have a spirit of discernment. And part of being able to judge people in the spirit world, we don't judge people in the physical world like, oh, my shoes are better than your shoes, like teenagers do, right? God doesn't care about that. But he wants us to have discernment in the spirit world. And we shouldn't hang around with people that are bad. Point number four. This is the last point. Self-deception ends in spiritual ruin and eternal destruction in hell. Most people who go to hell, they neglect so great salvation and they say, well, I'm really not that bad of a person. Because you can always find somebody worse. You can always look at Hitler or Stalin. However, God doesn't judge us based on somebody else. Well, he judges it on his standard, which is perfection. And none of us, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So by God's standard, we all are going to hell. Because for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you should keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. There's so many verses that say we're all sinners. However, God died as the perfect Lamb of God. And if we receive him as our Savior, then God looks upon us and sees the blood of Jesus covering our sins in the spirit world, and we're justified. We become clean and righteous through Christ. Matthew 3, 9. And this is John the Baptist still speaking to these Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. These scribes and these Pharisees, they were very prejudiced people. And they said, you know what? We're Jews, we're Israelites. And God's going to let us into heaven just because we're Israelites. But that's the way they thought. You're correct. That's not what gets you into heaven. And John the Baptist is saying, God doesn't need the children of Abraham to populate heaven. It says here, God is able of these stones to raise up children. All of those stones along the Jordan River, he could have 
turned them into people that were believers. But John the Baptist is not saying, because you're a child of Abraham, don't fool yourself. That's not what's going to get you into heaven. Now in the Old Testament, there was a, a queen named Esther. And her uncle was Mordecai. Esther was a Jew. And she was married to the king. And the king had a right-hand man named Haman. Haman was wicked. And Haman hated all the Jews. And he got the king to sign a proclamation that all the Jews would be killed on this certain day several months into the future. All of the Jews were mourning. And Mordecai, the uncle of the queen, comes to her and says, You know what? You think you're going to escape being annihilated by Haman just because you're the king's wife. That's not going to matter. When the king finds out you're a Jew, his proclamation is you have to die. The same thing goes in the spirit world. We all are like under Haman's curse. Now let me read this verse. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. And the same thing goes for those Jews that thought they would escape God's judgment just because they were Jews. No. You have to be saved and have faith. John 8, 39 and 40. They answered and said unto him, this is the leader speaking to Jesus. Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So Jesus is telling these scribes and these Pharisees, these leaders, you want to kill me. And you say you're Abraham's children. See, Abraham never tried to kill me. Abraham loved me. And they also got very angry because they said Abraham loved me, meaning he was alive when Abraham, they said, you're not even 50 years old. How could you have talked to Abraham? And then they sought the more to kill him because in essence, Jesus was saying, because I'm God, I made Abraham. And they said, no, you're not God. And they said, let's kill him. Galatians 3.29, if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God gave the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through him. This verse says, if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed. But if you're not Christ, you're not Abraham's seed. Matthew 3.10 And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. A tree that didn't bear fruit was not of any use. It's just what calls covering the ground. It's taking up space and it's grabbing the nutrients that the next tree can have. And what they would do is they would cut that tree down and they would throw it onto a fire and burn it up. That is a picture of the lost person going into the lake of fire. If we don't bear fruit for Christ, God's going to cut us down and throw us into the fire. But remember, if we're a Christian, we will bear fruit. We will bring forth 30, 60, or 100 fold. Everybody who's a true Christian will bear fruit. Isaiah 27, 11. When the bows, a bow is a part of a bush, thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The women come and set them on fire. For it is a people of no understanding. 
Therefore, he that has made them will not have mercy on them. He that formed them will show them no favor. So again, the example before was a tree that didn't bear fruit that was cut down. Here is a bush that doesn't bear fruit. And they cut off the dead parts and they throw that into the fire. And do you notice this verse says, therefore God that made them will not have mercy on them? So many people say, God will have mercy on me at the judgment seat. Because they will say, well, look at how hard my life was. On this side of death, the Bible says, God who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy on this side of death. Once we step through the portal of death, let's say this is the doorway, the portal of death, and we step through the portal of death into eternity, there's no more time. But the point is, once you step through that portal of death and you're not saved, the Bible says you despised Moses' law. You despised the Ten Commandments. You have trodden underfoot the blood of the covenant whereby you were saved. The Bible teaches us on that point. He that despises Moses' law dies without mercy. Dies without mercy. This verse says God will not have mercy on them. If you die and you're lost, God has no more mercy. The only thing that awaits you is the wrath of the great white throne. Hebrews 6, 8. But he that which bears thorns and briars is rejected. Remember the sins are represented by the briars and the thorns and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. That's what awaits the lost sinner is the burning destruction of eternity in hell and the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name in the book of life? If it is, you will not have to go into the lake of fire. Matthew 3, 11. This is John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You see the difference there? John is in the physical world. He's standing in a river. He's submersing the people and pulling them out of the water when he baptizes them. And he's doing that as a show that they have repented and they're publicly saying, I'm a believer. However, that's only a small picture of what God is really doing when you get saved. God baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Proverbs 1.23 Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're saved, now the Bible makes sense. See, the people that are not saved when they read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. They don't have spiritual discernment to where the Holy Spirit will speak to them as they're reading the words. Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Do you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how it differs from a baptism in the river? This is what God does. In the spirit world, he brings floods upon the dry ground. 
He pours water upon that soul that's thirsty. John 14, 26. This is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus is telling the apostles, after I die, after I raise from the dead, after I walk on the earth for 40 days, after I ascend into the heaven, then on Pentecost, the Lord, the Father, will send the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. Acts 1.5 For John truly baptized with water, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. This is Jesus speaking literally right before he ascends into heaven. And he says, John the Baptist, remember him? The one that Herod killed? He baptized with water. But in a couple of days, not many days hence, in a couple of days, you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Do you think that they were like in amazement, wondering what that would be? Matthew 3.12 Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor. That means he will thoroughly clean his floor. Last night we were making Christmas cookies. I know Christmas has gone by, but we were making them anyway. <laughs> and you know, you put the little sprinkles on, right? So this morning I said, Justice, can you clean up the kitchen floor? Because those little sprinkles, they get all over the place. So Justice, did you thoroughly purge the floor? Okay, good job. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's a picture Jesus says he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. The wheat are the saved souls. God's not going to have a dirty heaven when we go there. And the wheat are the souls and the tares are the lost. Just like there's sheep and there's goats. God is not going to allow any tares or any goats in heaven. And it says he will burn up the chaff Right? The chaff is what falls off the wheat with unquenchable fire. The fire of hell, do you notice it says unquenchable? Mm -hmm. Nobody will ever be able to put out the lake of fire. And it will burn forever and forever. The Bible says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, mm -hmm. where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented forever and ever. Some people go, No, it's not forever. God said forever, and then he added and forever on top of that. Just to make it crystal clear, the lake of fire will never end. Isaiah 5.24 Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One, of Israel. They despise the word and they cast away the law. Most people in America, they don't want to hear the Ten Commandments. They don't even want them in the courthouse anymore. And they'll fight you if you want to show them the Ten Commandments. But people that hate God, they hate his law. And this verse has said, they cast away the law and they despise the word. They despise the Bible. You know there's a verse in Romans 1, it says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Hold means they suppress it down. They push the word of God down. 
Malachi 3.2 But who may abide the day of Jesus' coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. The Bible says Jesus is a consuming fire. And anybody who doesn't have a glorified body will be consumed by that fire. And this verse says here, who may abide the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears because he's a refiner's fire. Malachi 4.1 For behold, the day cometh and shall burn as an oven. All the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall serve them neither root nor branch. They will leave them neither root nor branch. Nothing will be left of them in the spirit world. They will all end up in the lake of fire, like an oven. Imagine if somebody put you in an oven and turned it on. That would be torture, and then you would die. God's going to do that in the spirit world in the lake of fire. Sometimes people go, why would God ever do that? Do you know how righteous and holy God is? That's just a small picture of how righteous and holy he is. That is what we deserve when we sin. He's that righteous and holy. Matthew 13, 30. Let them both grow together until the harvest time. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, the reapers are the angels. I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. The tares are the unbelievers. But gather the wheat into my barn. The barn here is heaven. So God's going to say to the angels, you separate them. The tares you cast into hell. The wheat, they come into heaven. And see, before the judgments, our souls are represented. Because the body's going to be in the grave. But when God judges, he's going to make those dead bodies come out. The dead in Christ shall rise first. So there's multiple points to the resurrections. Yes. And the great white throne resurrection is when the lost will be resurrected. And it says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Okay. And they were judged out of those things written in the books. Judged out of those things written in the books. That means every time we do something, God is a recording angel who writes in the book what we did. There's another book which is called the Book of Life. Okay. They will be judged out of those things written in the books. So every time they sin, there's more punishment that goes into their eternal judgment. Matthew 1340. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. See, this world will end. And at the end of this world, there's going to be the judgment. And then in chapter 21 of Revelation, it says, John writing, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down. And he says, It's prepared by God as a bride for her husband. That's how beautiful this new Jerusalem is going to be. Mark 9, 48, Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In the lake of fire, those bodies that are dead are going to be eternally consumed with worms going in and out of them. And it says the fire is not quenched. You cannot put that fire out. When you guys were little, remember we would go to Buena Vista camping? And then if we had a fire the night before, we would, what would we do? We'd pour water on it, right? 
and that water would quench that fire. It would put that fire out. It says the fire of the lake of fire is not quenched. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9, the last verse for today. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. God is going to take vengeance. We're not supposed to get vengeance in this life. There's another verse that says, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. We don't need to get vengeance with anybody. And this verse says, In flaming fire, remember God is a consuming fire, taking vengeance on them. Who's going to have the vengeance? Them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The people who go into the lake of fire did not obey the gospel. They did not obey the commandments. And now God will take vengeance on them, and it will be an eternal destruction. And so we go back to the title for this lesson, Repent and flee from that wrath to come. And the only way to avoid the wrath is to be saved. We all said we were Christians in this room today. Everybody raised their hands. So I guess the challenge then for 2018 is for us to share this gospel with people that we know are lost. Now, we don't want to beat them over the head with a hammer. So we need to have discernment. But God will give us the words to say at the appropriate time if we ask him. Josiah, can you close us with a prayer, please? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you've given to us, just that we're able to be alive right now and just serving you. Just thank you for this Bible study that we did. Just thank you that you were able, you were able to have your words speak to us and we let it speak to each one of our hearts individually in a different way. And just show us what you want us to do for 2018. And just please bless the rest of our evenings and just continue us to stay in your word. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. You are dismissed.